Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Well, it's great to be back with you guys. I was gone for two weeks. I wasn't gone for 10 weeks. Some of you were like, who are you? Um, it's like... I was gone for two weeks, you know. I was talking to some of these pastors. We were at a conference last week, and they're like, oh, I'm leaving for a month. And I'm going, man, I couldn't get away with that. But anyway, but we had a great time. Went to Chicago, and any Chicago people? Anybody from Chicago? Yeah, yeah, a few of you, you know. Welcome to the desert. Glad you're here. Um, but we took our whole family because our son is going to start um, University of Chicago in the fall. So we want to go check out the campus. And so we're excited about him doing that. But we wanted to see everything. And then they left. My, the rest of my family left. I stayed. And then Gabe and some of our church planning residents and, and Kent. And we met at... Um, for our denominational conference, which sounds really exciting, actually, but it was pretty cool to see a bunch of old friends and new, new friends and whatever out there in, uh, in Naperville. And so what I learned about Chicago was that if you live in Chicago, you live in Chicago, but if you live outside of the city proper, you don't live in Chicago, you live in Chicago land. That's what I learned, right? So you can't, if you live in a suburb, you can't say, you know, if you live in Naperville, you can't say, well, I live in Chicago, because they'll correct you and say, no, you live in Chicago land. So for example, if it was Phoenix, we, where we live here, they would say you live in Phoenix land, right? Because you live outside. So then to follow the logic, if you lived in Tonopah, you would live in civilization land, <laughs> is the idea. It's just how, how it goes. So I learned a lot while I was gone, and it was very fun. But anyway, but we are a part of this larger organization that is committed to training and sending church planters, and so that was really exciting. And, uh, but I'll tell you, the thing that fires me up about this, and even when we're having John and Dee, and, and you'll see, you'll meet our church planting residents later on at the end of the service, is that, is that church is supposed to be an aggressive place. It's not just supposed to be some kind of benign little organization where a bunch of people come and we're like, we have a safe little church. The church is actually supposed to change the community that it's in. The community would look different at the end of the day because of the presence and the activity and the witness and the testimony and the behavior of the people in the church over time. The church is supposed to lead the community. And so at our Easter service a few months ago, over here at the Goodyear Ballpark, if you remember, we had 2,000 people, and the, the Channel 12 News was there, and Gabe Legaspi, or I'm sorry, Jess Legaspi, who's our women's um, ministry leader, she said on live television on Channel 12, she said, we're here throwing hope around like confetti. And I love that line, throwing hope around like confetti. So in the spirit of that, as we talk about, as we get into our message today, I want to say, we're here to throw mercy around like confetti. And so if you turn your Bible to the book of James chapter 2, James chapter 2, we've been walking through the book of James in the Bible, which is a letter that a guy named James wrote to the early church. And really when we talk about the idea of throwing mercy around like confetti, the reason we say that is because every human life matters, regardless of what condition we might find them in, regardless of our preconceived notions about them. Every human being has the opportunity to receive overwhelming mercy and the need to receive mercy, the kind of mercy that knocks you on the floor and the kind of mercy that makes you live the rest of your life in a spirit of gratitude. We need mercy so bad. And so before we go any further, 
In this context today, I want to define mercy maybe a slightly little bit differently than maybe you've heard in the past. But the way I define mercy for how we are going to address it today in, the, in our passage is this way. Treating people better than you need to in any given situation. Going beyond what is expected. Treating people better than you need to, than you could get away with. And so in our passage today, James is going to call out the behaviors of certain Christians in the early church who were doing the opposite of mercy. They were like the rest of the world, full of judgmentalism, discrimination, favoritism, prejudice, prejudging the value of human beings based merely on their appearance and their thoughts about them. And because the church was doing that, it revealed a heart that lacked mercy, a heart that didn't understand the heart of God. And so because of that, the real problem is the church wasn't doing its job. The church wasn't doing what it was designed to do, which is to help people see who God really is. You know, so this is what it says, and we'll read it, and it's rather lengthy, and then we'll, we'll figure out what we're supposed to do because of what the Word tells us. It says this, My brothers and sisters... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there. See the difference? You sit and you stand. Or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So what's going on here? Well, the church was growing rapidly at the time. And so, you know, you meet in these places and a lot of times there's standing room only or whatever else and it's hard to get a good seat. And there's all kinds of things going on. And, and what would happen is people were getting treated differently based on their appearance. So it was clear if you were rich, they'd say, oh, we got a, we got a seat for you. Come on down. You know, you could tell because he's got the jewelry and got the nice clothes. You sit down here where you, you can get the best sound. It's not too loud and it's not too quiet. You can get the best lighting and you can feel a nice little breeze blowing in from the east. You know, the temperature's just right. We want to give the best to you. We like you. You're a success. You obviously have money. We want to be associated with you and counted as one of your friends. So we give you the good seats. Then if you're a poor guy with shabby clothes, and literally in the language, the shabby clothes, the word meant like filthy. So kind of like, you know, not just a dude that doesn't dress very well, but like a kind of like a homeless guy, right? Like hasn't washed his clothes in a long time, you know, kind of tattered, and it was clear that this person was not successful. It was clear this person had had problems in life. It was clear this person was at a lower socioeconomic rung. And they would see this guy, and they'd go, hey, man, you know, it's the craziest thing. We're out of seats, dude. Sorry. 
I don't know what to tell you, brother. So if you go back there, there's like a pillar. You can stand behind the pillar. You know, that's fine for you. Or if you want to just sit down here next to this guy's nasty feet, that's fine. We'll give you a play-by-play. We'll let you go, you know, let you know what's going on, you know. But you can sit there or stand back there. But other than that, there's no place for you. And this is the kind of thing that was going on in the church. And so they were treating people differently based on their social status. And they were doing the same thing that everybody else in the world does. It was no different. So the danger, though, of beginning a message like this and talking about this is you go, okay, well, fine. So this is one of those messages where, you know, we get this nice platitude that, hey, let's not discriminate against anybody. And that's fine. But the truth is a lot of you are like, I just heard that at work last week. You know, we went through our annual diversity training. We went through our annual little thing where we all reminded that we have to treat everybody different or treat everybody the same. We can't discriminate on the basis of race or gender. Or Now we've got like sexual orientation thrown in there. And it's like, okay, I get it. We're supposed to treat everybody the same. And now that's what you're telling us. But that's actually not this at all. This is a, there's a deeper issue going on. See, because corporations and organizations, they can demand a certain type of behavior. And often, if we're honest, it's so they can avoid litigation. So we can say, well, you know, we gave them all these trainings. It's not our fault, right? And so they try to control behavior from the outside in, right? So this is how you're going to act. And if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. But what organizations and corporations can't do is they can't control how you feel or what motivates you from the inside. They can't deal with the hearts. Because if you can deal with the heart, then you don't have to worry about the rules. But James does, and he can deal with the heart. And so this is what he says in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Now this is the kicker right here. This verse 13, this is a big deal. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now we're going to get into this a little bit more, but just so you understand what's going on. He's basically saying, listen, the law says the best, you know, the golden rule or whatever, the kind of do unto others. You, but the other one is love your neighbor as yourself, right? The big kind of like it's one of the great rules. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus affirms this is the thing that kind of the whole law hangs on. Well, if you don't show mercy to someone else, if you're discriminating, if you're judging people, if you're treating them differently, you're breaking that law, which makes you a lawbreaker and actually makes you in need of mercy yourself. You see that? So he's kind of calling them out and saying, you're actually violating one of the very things that we as believers in Jesus are supposed to demonstrate. And the ironic thing is by, by withholding mercy, you yourself are making yourself guilty and now in need of mercy pretty interesting. But the goal here is not merely equality. No, it's more than that. It's deeper than that. It goes further than that. The goal is mercy. Let's treat people better than what the law requires. Let's go beyond the norms. Let's go beyond what is expected. 
Let's not just make sure that we aren't guilty of, you know, discriminating, but let's actually treat people in such a way that honors them because they are human beings created in the image of God. And so the goal is that you and I would become dealers in mercy. We would inject it into our society. We would be fountains of mercy. And so you don't treat people better than you have to because the rules say that you do. You do it because there's something inside you that wells up. And so the goal here is that we live in such a way that communicates that every single human being matters. Now, there are several ways we can misread this. First of all, we're not saying that we should ever make judgments about people. So I was reading a book called How to Be Your Own Bodyguard because I had to fire my last bodyguard. And uh, no, I'm kidding. I don't have a bodyguard. My wife is my bodyguard, actually. Don't mess with her. But anyway, but I was reading about this bodyguard book and they said, if, if you're a security person, the, the first thing you do when you go into a new place is you, you assess for like a baseline kind of um, standard of what the behavior or whatever should be in a certain situation, like at a bar or a hotel, whatever else. And you go, this is the kind of thing we should expect. You establish a baseline standard and then you just look for anomalies, right? What is behavior or appearances that don't seem like they fit in, in what you would generally expect in this environment and that could communicate that there's a problem. So you're making discriminations or judgments all the time for your own safety. And so it's this is the same thing. So like if you're a woman coming out of Target over here late at night and a guy approaches you from the opposite direction, you know, out of the shadows, not from Target, and he doesn't have any Target bags in his hand, and he doesn't look like he's just coming home from work, yes, you ought to make a judgment about that person. You don't just go, oh, hi there. I want to treat you like one of God's wonderful children. No. That's the moment where, ladies, you reach into your purse for your pepper spray. Or in this town, your nine millimeter, you know. <laughs> I know you ladies. It's the West Valley, baby. Um, you tell, I don't know, this is what you tell me. So anyway, but, but, but no, you make, you got it. So, so it's not just about shutting your brain off, kumbaya, oh, let's just not be wise about who's there and let's all just kind of go, it doesn't matter. That's not what it's about. Secondly, we should not turn this around and then put it on other people as though they're the ones that are supposed to not show favoritism when it comes to us. So it's kind of like, you know, see, the Bible says you aren't supposed to show favoritism, so you have to accept me exactly as I am, no matter what, what I do or how I dress or how I carry myself. That's not the point either. See, we live in a society that's big on rights and low on responsibility right now, so we have to make sure that we're not reading into this the wrong way and using it as a demand and as an excuse for us to act however we want either, because how you act and how you carry yourself communicates. So if you're a young man, if you want to be entrusted with the responsibility of a high-paying job or taking care of a woman, you need to present yourself in such a way that you can do that. You don't just go, the world needs to accept me as I am. No, you need to think about how am I carrying myself to make sure that I'm sending the right message. But the reality is this is not to be turned around. This is supposed to be something that we look at and say, There's, there are people in our lives that God has put there so that we can show mercy to them, so that we can include them, so that we can go beyond what society would normally demand and actually say, inject a level of love into people's lives that is surprising and unexpected. So, 
What are some principles here that we, can, that we can really understand to help us answer the question of why should I act mercifully? Why should I actually do this? Well, let me give you three reasons. Number one, because God flips the script on who really wins. Very, very important. You see, James is annoyed with these guys for giving the good seats to the rich people because he's like, you guys don't understand the way the world works here. You, understand, you, you see what you can see, but you don't see what's, what God is really doing because God does unexpected things. And so we should do unexpected things. And he says this in verse five. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who, those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? The people you think don't mean anything to the world, you better be careful because according to this passage, God has flipped the script. Because you see a rich person and you go, oh, wow, God must be blessing that person. But all you're seeing is a sliver of their life, of their eternal life. You're seeing, you're seeing a snapshot, one second. So my wife and I celebrated on June 13th. We celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary. And it was so romantic. There was, we were in this wonderful hotel room in Chicago with our three kids. <laughs> it was great. Um, you know, and yeah, whatever. Um, but so that's great. Anyway, so, but it was wonderful and we had a great time with everybody. But 20 years ago on our first wedding anniversary, we were living in LA and I'm like, ah, oh, it's our first wedding anniversary. And I went out to this exotic car rental place on Wilshire Boulevard in Santa Monica and I rented a BMW Z3 M Series Roadster, bright red, this rocket. It was unbelievable, right? And I'm like, I picked her up. I'm like, look what I did for you. And she goes, no, you did this for you. <laughs> But anyway, so we go driving down, and we were down in Long Beach. And I remember we were parked on the beach, and, and we had the top down, and, and we were talking and stuff, and, and I had these plans we were going to do, do later on, but we were kind of watching the, the sunset and everything. And, these, and there was people walking by, and you could hear me making comments about my car, like, whoa, you know? And I was like, yeah. And, and, and it's like, if you looked at just, just like, here I am, got this hot woman in the passenger seat, top down on the beach, SoCal, right? And if you just took a picture, you'd think, wow, this guy has it all. But it's a joke, because it's a rental, you know, I'd give it back in like 10 hours, right? It was $400. Like what kind of idiot does that? Well, I did. But it was a total sham. My whole life from that moment was a sham. And we, but we make these judgments about people and we think, oh, you know, because they look this way or they act this way, that's how they must be. And, you know, it's like I was watching an um, a, a episode of House Hunters a long time ago, and it's like this guy, they bought this 5,000 square foot house out in Texas somewhere, and they actually said on TV, they said, we have found our forever home. I was like, are you crazy? How self-deluded can you be? How long do you think you're going to live you got eternity right around the corner, Jack. You going to take that house with you? No, man. You're going to live in that for a couple of decades, and you're giving that thing back. This is not your forever home. What kind of ridiculous statement is that? you got to be thinking about your real forever home. And that's what James is trying to say. For some reason, God loves to flip the script because it's not about what you can see. And it's not about people with privilege and power. It's about people that are the underdog. It's about the people that all they have is faith. It's about the people that are often ignored in the world. And if you're not careful, you're going to miss it. Because I'll tell you something, in a hundred years from now, every single person in this room will be alive. Our zip codes will have changed. We'll be living somewhere else. But you will be alive. Make no mistake about that. 
And so this is what we have to understand. We have to understand that we live here now and things look a certain way they do now, but the deck in 100 years and less for many of us will be greatly reshuffled. Greatly reshuffled. And the people now who look like they have so much prominence will not look in, to be in such a desirable state. Now, it doesn't mean that if you're poor, you're somehow more godly. If you're rich, you're ungodly. It's not that. It's that are we looking at people and seeing them as creations of God with eternal value to him. And this is something that we own, by the way. Our secular friends don't have this foundation because it's dog eat dog in the godless narrative of life. But our view is different. So listen to what C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Way of Glory, when it comes to how we should treat every single person. He says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. And you see a person that just brings contempt in your mind. You better check yourself seriously because you are feeling that way about a person who was made in the image of God and you don't know God's plan for that person. And there may come a day where you will see that person in heaven and you will, go, you will be struck by their beauty and you will be struck by the, the glory of God shining in that human being. And you don't want to be convicted in your heart and remorseful for having such a small imagination when it comes to what God is capable of. And so we, this is serious stuff because we are treading on the holy. This allows me to hit the second point here, which is, you know, the reason that we need to show, we need to show mercy is because mercy makes a merciful God visible. Mercy is living proof of God's love. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the reason that we are in each other's lives is so that we have opportunity to show mercy. The reason there are people in your life that bug you or that you don't like is so you can show mercy to them. And the reason that you are in the life of, per of a person that you bother and bug is so that they can show mercy to you. There's a picture that went viral on Instagram of a father who took his daughter to the prom her name is Tori, and she has autism. At 17, according to her father, she basically functions as a 13-year-old, so she's awkward. You know, it's so hard when you're a kid. Kids are terrible creatures. We sent a whole bunch of them, by the way, to camp today on a double-decker bus. It was beautiful, the most amazing bus I ever saw. I almost wanted to be a stowaway, you know. I mean, it's an amazing thing. We sent them to camp, and hopefully they'll come back a little bit less vicious to one another. <clears throat> but anyway... 
Her parents, her mother actually asked, there was three boys that kind of, she kind of knew, and she asked all three of them, anyway, if they would take her daughter to the prom. Two of them said no, and the other one never responded. So her father took her. He didn't want her to miss out on going to prom. He wanted her to have a memory. He wanted her to feel special. Nobody would take her. So he did. And that day, he got her a corsage and he went to take her to get her hair done. And when they walked into the prom, you know, at first the other students were like, who's that old guy with Tori? And they realized it was her father. And they saw what he had done. And they said that the students were coming over and they were telling Tori how beautiful she looked. And that was made possible because of the strength of a father and the love of a father who had compassion on his child. And he said, I'm gonna invest and I'm gonna show the world around me that this little girl's life matters. And I'm gonna do what's unexpected. I'm gonna do what you wouldn't think would happen. And all those kids that saw that, what they should have been told was, do you see, that's, that's the way God is. That's the way God is. We have a very serious problem in our society when it comes to how our technology continues to increase and we are able to scan for defects in utero. Uh-oh. I hate to say it, but your child is gonna have Down syndrome. Your child is not gonna be able to play with the other kids. Your child is gonna have special needs. We know now. So what are you going to do? I tell you what, that kind of thinking, straight out of Nazi Germany, baby. Eugenics 101. We've been through it before. It was an evil empire that cost a lot of blood to kill. And it's resurfacing its ugly head in our society. Let's do, the, let's do this expedient and efficient thing and wipe out children who are going to struggle before they ever have a chance to be occasions of mercy. Now, did you ever think that one child born with a special need who can't function like the other kids was put there on purpose by God so that you could look at that child and God could say, that's you. That's you. And I've come along to take you to the prom because you need to feel love and you need to know the extent of my mercy. Did you ever think that the children that we have in our Compass Treasures ministry are put there so that God's invisible mercy could be made known? How dare we as a society act so cavalierly and calloused towards the least of these? We don't realize what we're dealing with. We don't realize the value of life that we are messing around with. And I shudder to think about how God might make a situation like that right in eternity for those who have been so blind to that reality. But you can imagine the poor who had no rights coming into the early church. Because, you know, now you can go, hey, look, man, maybe you're young, you just need to get a job, you need to fix yourself up a little bit, you know. And, and there is some level of moment. We, we, have, we have some ceilings in our society. We need to understand that. We need to break through some of these ceilings. We need to fight to be able to help people understand that every human being deserves a chance to get ahead. 
And we should never discriminate against people based on their, on their ethnic background or anything like that. It's just, we, are, we should be so far beyond that, but we're not. We have a lot of work to do in that regard, and it's a sickening and sad thing. But there are people who are held back just simply because of the way they look. But these people were in a society that was very, very, very fixed. And so you, you couldn't really come in and go, hey, man, why don't you change your clothes? Like, this dude is like, this is where he's at, and he's probably not going to get out of that because, because stratas were very, very fixed. So you can imagine if, if the guy walks in the back, and rather than what you'd normally expect, if the people said, no, 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 come here, come here. You sit in the best seat. You sit in the front. It's so good to have you here. You sit here. You're important. You have a church like that, it changes the world. There are people in our society who are still treated as second-class citizens. Many people. A lot of them now, and I, you know, I'll jump on the landmine here. We have all this talk about illegal immigration. And I'm not going to get into the politics of it. If you're involved in, you know, you work with one of our organizations or one of our um, government agencies that helps to guard the border or, or help deal with people who are here illegally, you need to do your job and we support you and we're grateful for you that you're involved in the safety and well-being of our nation. That's great. But that being said, if that's not your form of employment, then it's not your job to go figure out where someone came from. Our job is to love the people that are here and to realize that life is very, very complicated. And we are fortunate to live in a country that people are literally dying to try to get into. And we're, we actually live in a state that people from all over the country are trying to come to as well because their weather is horrible. <laughs> and their taxes are horrible. It's true. Like, you are a very privileged person if you live here. I don't care what anybody says. Get a pool, you know. <laughs> Everybody wants to come here. But when they come here, a lot of times they've left a terrible thing. I heard a guy who told us a controversial statistic. He said there's actually more pastors crossing the border than there are criminals illegally. And that's complicated. That's, that's messy. I get it. But there's a revival going on in Central America right now of great spiritual revival. And there's, because life is messy and complicated, there's a certain amount of those people that are ending up here. And it wouldn't be the first time that God used the least of these and the sojourner to come into another country and to bring the gospel. We don't have the moral high ground in a lot of things that we do. I believe in our ideals and I believe in what we strive for as Americans, but our people don't necessarily have the moral high ground. And I'm telling you what, you and I need to pray for and extend mercy to those who are here without wondering where they came from. And you gotta check your heart if you're walking around as though you deserve something just by virtue of the fact that you're here. I'm not making a political statement. Those of you who know me, you know where I lean politically. And it doesn't always, that kind of stuff doesn't always come out of the mouth of someone who leans where I lean politically. That got the room quiet. Um, I could say more, but I won't. Certainly we have the opportunity to sponsor refugee children. And I was set up here, ah, the Middle East, that place, just a, it's just a cesspool. Well, God loves redeeming places that are difficult. And he's doing it already. And you have the opportunity to take a child who was born into that and had no, they don't want to be born into that. They want to deal with the failure of human beings and the failure of a, of a worldview that just can't get its act together at all. And responsible for the dis, displacement of millions of people. We have an opportunity to do something about that and show mercy. This is the third thing. Mercy proves that I actually know God 
proves I actually know God. See, this, this, this last verse is so crazy. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. In other words, you're free by grace. So what are you going to do with your freedom? You've been set free. You don't work your way into heaven. Jesus paid and paid it all, as we've sang, right? He paid all of your sins on the cross. He paid for all of them. So now you have freedom. What are you going to do with the freedom? Be careful because for judgment is without mercy the one who's shown no mercy. And why does it say that? This is the same reason why Jesus says, look, if you don't forgive someone, you can't be forgiven. Why? It's because you've broken a rule? No, because it shows you don't understand forgiveness. You don't understand that you've been forgiven. And so to live your life in a way to not show mercy, to not treat people better than they should be treated, to not have your heart kind of break for those in difficult circumstances, for to have a hardened, closed heart shows that you yourself don't know what you've been rescued from. And so maybe you haven't been rescued from it at all. Because if you actually understood what it took to rescue you, you would change. And I'm speaking to, I'm speaking to myself here. But this is like a message I preach to myself. Because I've been a real jerk throughout the course of my life at different times. Because I thought I knew everything, right? This is really important. If your understanding of God makes you less merciful, you don't know God. And there's people out there like, there's like, there's a strain of Christianity that's like very much, you like, we're the watchdogs. We're the watchdogs to make sure that we guard the faith. Well, that doesn't help anything if nobody wants to be in the faith because you're in it and no one likes you. And there's, a certain, there's a strain of Christians, they don't like to smile. They don't like to laugh. They're always watching and they see it as a gift. I had a guy in my church that I planted in Mesa. He goes, he came up to me one day, he goes, my spiritual gift is to be a thorn in your side. I'm like, pfft. My spiritual gift is to kick you in the head, dude. <laughs> like, what kind of jerk is that? Show me that in the Bible. But there's people out there like that. It's like, we have to get, I mean, sometimes people walk in here, so uh, tell me about your theology. Really? How'd you get past the security, man? <laughs> really? Why don't, you, why don't you start serving and loving people and melting your viciously frozen heart? And then we'll talk about our theology, dude. Drives me crazy. There's nobody like that in here, so I can rip on those people. <laughs> we bounce them quick. I'm telling you, we do. We bounce. We, one service, and they're, they're like, we're out of here, man. <clears throat> Go try Palm Valley. They'll bounce you out, too. <laughs> I love those guys. Anyway, huh, I'm having fun. I got I to gotta wrap it up. You see, we look for those who need mercy because God looked for us. If you don't think God's chased you down and hunted you down when you were blind and running the exact opposite direction, you don't know the love of the Father. God grabbed you and picked you up. And if he hasn't done that yet, I'm telling you, that's what he wants to do. God's not impressed by all of your resume. God's not impressed by all the things, you know, well, at least I haven't killed anybody. Wow, that's a great standard. Um, Like God isn't impressed with any of that stuff. God isn't impressed with anybody. God isn't impressed with Mother Teresa. God isn't impressed with nobody. No, we're the ones who are to be impressed and blown away by the mercy of God that he would love us while we were yet undeserving. And that's what's supposed to melt your heart. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never received the mercy of God, 
you've always thought that it was a competition of who was more holy and you knew you were going to lose. Hopefully you've been encouraged by the fact that that is not the way that it is. The fact of the matter is that God is here to tell you that he has loved you when you are at your most unlovable, which is probably now. And so all he wants you to do is simply understand and recognize his grace. He's the one that's that's taken you to the prom. He loved us while we were yet undeserving. No matter who you are or what you've done, if you're here today, God wants to extend his grace to you and show you. And he's demonstrated it by what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. So if you're you're ready for that, if you're ready to receive mercy, just say, God, I need mercy. Thank you for showing it to me. Thank you that you're a God with a soft heart. And you'd forgive even me because of what has happened on the cross of Jesus. For the rest of us that are here, that maybe have already made the decision to follow Jesus, but we've kind of forgotten what we were saved from, maybe we need to repent of our judgmentalism, our prejudice, racism, looking at other people as less than us, as though God did not create them to bear his image and with eternal value. So God, we confess and we repent of the anger in our hearts. And we ask that we would be people that you would use to make visible your invisible love. That we go farther than the rules tell us we should. That we wouldn't wait for someone to show us mercy, but that we would make the first move. That we would do everything we could to make sure the people around us know that your heart overflows with mercy and love and compassion. Help us to be people like that who then come together to form a church like that that can show the world unmistakably that you are here and that you are real and that you love. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.